Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we're gonna have a very exciting, very exciting interview here. We're gonna be talking to the founder of a company in the cannabis space. I think that we're gonna be learning quite a bit on the you know process of starting, building it, scaling, raising money, uh, and you name it. So I think that without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today so that we can learn much more. Josh Genderson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. A big fan of the podcast. So originally born in Washington D.C. So uh, so pretty pretty interesting place. You know, a ton of diplomatics and things like that. Obviously, you didn't turn out to be you know so so much in in that in that public you know like type of office uh, environment. But but how was life growing up there, Josh? Uh, yeah. So you know, it's it's first and foremost, it's it's rare to be a Washingtonian, let alone a. Uh, fourth generation Washingtonian. So, uh, you know, puts me in a, a unique, uh, group and, uh, it's a very small community of, of us. And so, um, it's a fascinating place to, to, to live and grow up in. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, politics have always been fascinating. Um, federal government's always been fascinating. I don't think, uh, I don't think anything prepared us for, uh, what the last sort of four or five years have been like, but, um, but nonetheless, it was interesting. It's, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, my great grandfather founded a, a, a wine and spirits store on Capitol Hill. And so, uh, my entree into, um, into, you know, politics was, uh, watching people come and, and taste wine, uh, you know, in my, my dad's office and, uh, and talk about, you know, life as a Supreme Court justice or as, a, you know, the the, pres- the president of the Senate or, you know, delivering booze to the White House. So it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating place. Uh, I, you know, I love it here. Um, D.C. has become a great city and, um, you know, I'm proud to be a Washingtonian. And, and then you went to the University of Maryland. But after that, you decided to go to L.A. Why to L.A.? Well, I... Um, I thought that I wanted to be a talent agent. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I was very fascinated by that world. I think a lot of people are, um, 
you know, I, I spent all my life on the East Coast. Uh, you know, you go visit L.A. and the sunshine and the water and the good, beautiful people. And, you know, the whole Hollywood scene was just very different than uh, D.C. with a lot of gray and, and politics. Um, and so, you know, and I thought I had the right skill set. So I, uh, I went and um, I worked in the mailroom at Endeavor, which now is called Endeavor William Morris. Um, and if anybody's seen the show Entourage, I, um, I was like Lloyd. So I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember that character. Yes. So, uh, you know, I was, uh, an assistant to an agent after working in the mailroom and, uh, I, you know, let's just say I didn't grow up accustomed to being somebody's, uh, assistant. And, um, <laughs> you know, there's a very, uh, special culture in that, in that industry. And, and it, Basically, you know, yeah, you eat a bunch of uh, you know crap for uh, for ten years, and and if you can survive, you you get a chance to become an agent. And so uh, I worked for a gentleman who represented a lot of famous, you know, ultra famous uh, Hollywood celebrities, and uh, he called me Mister Incredible, uh, with in a very condescending way. He would say Incredible, and uh, <laughs> and and you know the way those offices are. The agents have their office on, you know, against the window, and then in front of their office is where their assistant sits. And so, if their door is open, you're looking directly at them. So sometimes the door would be open, and he would throw like a, a hanger at me, and that would mean I, he wanted me to get his dry cleaning, or, oh uh, or or he would say incredible, and then he would point to his water <laughs> cup and he'd say H2O. You know, and I'd go get them water. And, uh, you know, uh, Sunday mornings, you're in there, and and the, one of the great the great stories is I I went out there with my best friend, my best childhood friend, um, who also was in the mailroom with me, and then was was uh, an assistant, and he was the assistant uh, of, to a very famous literary agent, um, and it couldn't have been more night and day. Uh, our you know our desks were near each other. And, and the agent he worked for was all about quality of life and thoughtfulness. And so, you know, Saturday would come around and my friend would get, you know, be all excited to go spend the day on the beach. We were living in Venice. Um, and I would have to be in the office, you know, early in the morning doing errands. And uh, so I think we had the, the polar opposite experience. But, you know, you get to meet a lot of uh, interesting people and, and a lot of celebrities and read a lot of screenplays. And so... Um, you know, I, I definitely learned a lot, but first and foremost, I learned that wasn't for me. So, so at uh, what point did you get tired of, of getting hangers being thrown at you? And <laughs> called incredible. I got, I got tired pretty quickly, but after a year I uh, decided, you know, it, it was enough. And so I, um, I, I moved to New York and, uh, and I worked for a music uh, promotion and management company. Um, and they were a company that owned venues all over New York City, and I ran ticketing there. So oh, that was a super cool job. Um, it is, it's, it's really a job that is built for someone that wants to be up till four in the morning and, and partying. And, and I loved it uh, for, for about a year and a half, but, you know, it, it, it wears on you. And, and um, as I mentioned, my family has been in the wine and spirits business for many, many years. So I used New York as an opportunity to um, study wine and spirits at the International Wine School, um, and and you know get get a degree in uh, in in wine uh, management on the business side. 
Um, and then I ended up starting a company importing wines and spirits, mostly wines from Spain, Portugal, and Argentina. Um, so whatever, whatever happened there? So, you know, I, like a lot of things in life, I, uh, I got lucky and, uh, you know, I, I was bringing in wines from Spain, Portugal, Argentina, a lot of places that have low price point, um, wines. And this was, you know, right before, um, Yeah, right around when 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 the recession was starting to loom, and uh, I think people were uh, people were you know looking for a ten dollar bottle of wine as opposed to a fifty, and so you know we 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 became successful, and and the uh, the the brands that I had in my book were were taken off, and um, it was a it was a wonderful experience, and to have success at a young age is um, you know is really confidence building and inducing, and uh, And, and, you know, I knew it was preparing me to, to come and take over my family business, which, which in the back of my mind was, was a goal for a long time. So But why, why, why did you, let's say, at what point did you decide, Hey, you know, um, I've, I've done pretty well with this business, you know, it's time to perhaps explore, uh, selling, uh, my participation here and, and go at it with the family business. I guess it was about Three years in, two and a half, three years in, um, my my dad, uh, who is my mentor and and my friend and and just an amazing guy, um, called me one day and he said, you know, uh, now is time to uh, you know what or get off the pot. And uh, you know there was a there was a, a gen the general manager was leaving and and he said if you want to come take over you know this business, uh, now is the time. So I um. You know, I, I thought a lot about it, and uh, I, I thought, how am I ever going to leave New York? Um, and then, I, you know, I made the decision to give it a go, and I really wanted to carry my family's legacy. And, you know, at the time, nobody else in my family was interested. And um, I saw a lot of potential. You know, D.C. has a unique set of, of um, rules around liquor and wine. So in most states, you can be one of three things. You can either be an importer. So you can, you can buy wines or spirits from the producer and bring them into the U.S. or bring them to the, to the, you know, the East Coast. Um, you can be a distributor. So, you know, an importer sells to the distributor. The distributor then sells to, uh, you know, to retail stores or restaurants. Or you can be a, uh, a, a B2C class. So, you know, a restaurant or a, a liquor store that's selling to the end user. Um, but in DC, you can you can cross all three tiers, and so I saw a really unique uh, opportunity to take the skills I had learned importing wines, um, and and sort of tie them in and and go uh, from 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 importing direct to consumer. Um, and I started a distribution company around that. And you know, my initial goal, which was not to screw it up, um, turned into uh, me growing it about seven times in size and scale. And, um, you know, it was an amazing accomplishment. I, I, I'm very proud of that. And uh, I think I made my family proud too. And part of that also was um, kind of like exploring the online model. Um, so really taking something that is offline and, and then figuring out how to transform it. So what does that process look like? Yeah, so... Um, You know, I I, I started seller.com, which was which is our uh, e-commerce platform, and um, 
you know, it's, it's, it, it, this all prepared me for, uh, for my, my new role, which is, uh, you know, being the CEO and founder of Holistic Industries, <clears throat> because there's a lot of rules and regulations and, um, they're different in each state. And so when you're distributing to each state or when you're, you know, when you're an e-commerce platform and you're selling, you know, bottles of wine to people in, you know, Michigan from DC, there, there's different rules than if you're selling to somebody in New Jersey, for example. So um, you know, I really learned regulation and oversight, and I learned how to navigate regulation and oversight. And, um, you know, it's, it's the most important thing, uh, especially when you get into the cannabis business, which we'll talk about. But, you know, the way I explain it to people is um, if I had a, uh, if I had a, a, you know, furniture store, that, that store is mine by right. You know, unless you're the IRS, you have to come pry that store from my, my cold, dead hands. But, you know, in the cannabis space and, and in the liquor space, it's it's a privilege. And so unless you do what, you know, what you're supposed to do and what you said you're going to do and what the rules dictate you do, that that store, that license, that facility can be can be taken away. And so um, it taught me just how serious compliance was and how important it was. And, um, you know, you can be creative, but you always have to stay within the bounds of compliance and regulation. Of course, of course. So I guess um, at what point, you know, like during this um, during this time with the family, did you decide, uh, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look at at the cannabis space, uh, and and perhaps you know, like what was that point where you came across the idea of maybe like doing something around it, and what was that point where you said I'm gonna take action? Perhaps it's time to tell my family that uh, that maybe I'm not gonna be spending so much time, you know, helping. Well. Like I said, I have, I have such a supportive family and, and father, and you know, my dad started to take it easy as I was growing the business. Um, but I think it was it was in two thousand and nine or two thousand and ten that I um, that I I started paying attention to to cannabis as a business. And one of the reasons I I was paying attention was because DC has one of the first medical cannabis ordinances um, on the East Coast. And that, that was written in like 2002, 2003. Um, but D.C. is subject to something called home rule. So home rule means that Congress has oversight over our budget. And, um, and so for many years, there was a blanket rider in Congress that said no to anything cannabis related. Um, in 2010, so second half of Obama's first term, uh, Congress was uh, getting ready to flip to blue. And, um, you know, I, I knew the mayor's chief of staff pretty well at the time. And I was talking to him one day and, and um, I, I saw I saw the opportunity, you know, to, to revamp the bill and get it passed in Congress and, and create a program for people that were suffering in D.C. And so you know, that was really the impetus for uh, for me to get involved. Got it. So then tell us about that day where you finally go into it. And, uh, you know, how were, how were those early days of really, you know, like pushing holistic industries? Sure. So um, at the time, uh, there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of applicants vying for seven licenses. Um, so I put two companies together and, um, and, and you know, with different family members um, and, and really just 
put everything I had into it and, and ended up winning two of the seven licenses for growing and processing. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I owned a warehouse um, in the zone, properly zoned district, uh, actually two separate warehouses. And, um, and so once I won, you know, I won and after celebrating for a night, it was like, you know, an, Oh my God moment. Uh, it's time, you know, time to get to work. And so, uh, you know, like anything else I've ever done, I, I just wanted to be the best at it. And, um, I got, I got to say, I, I learned so much from, from running a family business that's really steeped in community and in, and in, you know, in culture and in treating people well. Um, and, and, you know, being the best place to work, right. That, that was sort of, uh, that was always something I wanted to do. And I, I, you know, again, being in a family business, you really learn to take care of your people. And so, um, so I started traveling and, and looking for the right people to help me, you know, run this, uh, this, this empire. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you meet a lot of people along the way and, and cannabis, uh, back in 2010, 2011 was a lot different than it is today. And certainly a lot less professionalized. Um, and so, I, I would go to Colorado, I'd go to California, I'd go to Canada, I went to Holland and, you know, I would, I would meet people, but, but I met the person who, um, you know, who, who really wanted to be, you know, my, my guy and, uh, and get to help me get everything set up. And so he told me that he would, uh, he would fly me out to Colorado <clears throat> because he had a, a strain that he was growing out there that he was going to enter into the cannabis cup. And so, um, so I accepted his invitation and I, I flew out to Colorado and, uh, you know, in a sport coat and landed at around 1030 AM. Um, and he, he sent me a text saying, you'll, you'll know when we're there. So I'm waiting outside and, um, and, and about five minutes later, a 1970s stretch limo, um, with a Denver Bronco decal stretched out on it, pulls up. And, uh, and the window rolls down and, and smoke sort of billows out <laughs> and, uh, they, you know, they, they say hop in and, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of getting prepared to, um, to, to enter their, their strains into the, into the cannabis cup. And so we, we go and, uh, you know, just, you get a contact high just from being in the, in the car. And, um, and, and so we get there and we get to the, to the cup and they take me to the, you know, the VIP room to show me that they were very connected. And, um, in the VIP room, people were dabbing and I'm not sure anybody, everybody knows what dabbing is, but, uh, what is, what is dabbing? Dabbing is, is a, a way to, um, essentially smoke concentrates, um, concentrated okay. cannabis extract, um, you know, and it, and it involves a process that. Uh, just looks sinister, you know. You you need a you need a blowtorch, and um, you know it's it's uh, for anybody listening. You know, Google it if you don't know what it is. <laughs> but uh, okay. so I was taken to the dab tent. You know, this is all legal in in Colorado, and uh, yeah. and uh, a, a woman comes over, and she's you know representing the the company that that uh, made these dab devices, and scantily clad and she she asked you know asked if i want to dab and so you know i certainly don't want to you know seem like i don't fit in so i um <clears throat> i took a dab and uh, a very big one at that 
And um, let's just say about 10 minutes later, I was in the bathroom, just kind of staring into the mirror. And uh, about 30 minutes later, I was on my way to the hotel um, where I stayed the rest of the day and uh, woke up in the morning and flew back to D.C. So uh, <laughs> that was my introduction into, uh, into this space. But, you know, I ended up meeting the right people and, um, you know, building out a facility. And um, along the way, I think a really special story is that I, I met a woman um, who had a child named Jackson. And Jackson had incurable epilepsy. Um, and so he was suffering from like 50 to 60 seizures a day. And there was no relief. He was, it was called incurable because he had gone through three clinical trials um, and found no relief. And so um, I learned that Jackson was, was not only, um, you know, an example of, of somebody that could be helped by, by cannabis as medicine, but he was part of a, of of a group of about 50 other children whose parents coalesced around this issue. And we lived in the, in the DC area and, um, and they, they were desperate, you know, they were desperate to help their children. Um, I'm, I was not a parent at the time I am now. And I, I really understand that, uh, a parent whose child you've saved becomes your biggest advocate. And so, um, you know, I learned that these, these moms, most of them moms, um, we're, we're traveling to Colorado and California and, and literally smuggling back a non-psychoactive medicine um, to, to help their children at, at the risk and peril of their careers and their lives. And, and I was so taken aback by it. And so I met a, uh, a PhD chemist, a brilliant young PhD chemist, um, <clears throat> and he came on board and, uh, and we started making the medicine ourselves. So at that point, we were up and running and making a bunch of products. And so we, we, we made the medicine. We called it Jackson's Courage. And we subsidized it. So we gave it away through our retail channel um, to all 50 uh, children in this, in this group. And, you know, I like to call it the least uh, clinical trial of all time. Uh, you know, there, there weren't very many controls. It wasn't blind. There weren't placebos. It was a skewed group that had already, you know, benefited from medicine, but it was very, very, very patient facing. And, um, you know, we subsidized the medicine, like I said, you know, gave it away and, and we tracked the outcomes and we had a 97% success rate. Um, and success in this case means 70% or greater reduction in seizures. And this, this was around the time that Sanjay Gupta and the mainstream media really started talking about um, cannabis medicine for, for children with epilepsy. So, um, so the reason I tell that story is because, um, as I said, a, a parent whose child you're, you've saved really becomes your biggest advocate. And, and we watch these children go from, you know, not being able to talk to being in school and, and being, you know, fully conversational and playing soccer. And, uh, still to this day, whenever I see one of those moms, um, you know, they're all big advocates, uh, they, they, they tear up and I tear up and it's a very emotional thing. But, but the reason I tell the story is because it was, it was the aha moment for me. Um, Got you know, what, what was going to be a side project, um, you know, turned into me seeing the light and, and really understanding what, what, how powerful it was and what, what it could do and what cannabis could, could be for so many people. Now, when you got started uh, eight years ago, uh, basically, you know, probably many, many of the people 
many of the people listening, they would think, oh, you know, like I'm sure that it was a slam dunk and and that it was like a smooth sailing from the beginning. Uh, and and you got you know quite a bit of egg on your face, um, and that was quite a quite a learning experience for you too. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Certainly. Yeah, you know when you when you so so basically, um, I watched these these moms as they marched up and down the East Coast, picketing state houses and demanding medicine for kids, and and I would go and identify the states that they were making headway in, and I would use my um, you know my 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 background in, uh, in, in, you know, knowing politics and in, in being, you know, friends with politicians and just understanding the political process. Um, and I would, I would try to help them, uh, you know, get these, these laws created. And so, um, you know, we went into Maryland and Pennsylvania and Massachusetts and, uh, through, through these RFP or RFA processes, you know, we won one of three verticals in Maryland and one of four in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, one of one of the first few in Massachusetts, and you know when you when you once you win, then you have to build out a uh, a production facility, which costs you know from between ten and twenty million dollars, and then you have to build out your retail retail stores, and so um, you know I would I would go and raise capital in each state individually, um, I, you know I would find a high net worth individual and they would be my partner. Um, and they usually knew how to navigate the, the state and the politics. And, um, and then once we won, we would, we would generally raise capital into that license. And so, you know, when you, you put a pro forma together, you know, eight years ago, um, it just, it looks like sunshine and roses, you know, this is, it's all profit. There's no downside. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's selling cannabis, you know, for Christ's sake, it's legal weed. Um, and, and so, you know, I think, um, it was a, a very humbling thing to, to actually learn. Um, it, it, there's not, no, there's no cakewalks in this life and, and, uh, you know, cannabis, uh, legal cannabis, medicinal cannabis is very, very capital intensive. Um, it has a, a, a terrible archaic tax code called 280E, which effectively doesn't let you take any write-offs, no business deductions, except for cost of goods sold. Um, and it's, it's, it's tied up in, in tons of bureaucracy. Um, it's very parochial, you know, each state, a lot of states let their, let the towns decide for themselves what the rules are going to be for each town. So, you know, you go and you end up meeting with every town official and, and, um, you know, something that, that in, in the liquor business would take six months, takes 18 months in cannabis. And so, um, you know, my, my first few uh, projections and pro formas were way, way, way off base. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's pretty humbling when you're, uh, when you're, you're using other people's money. Got um, it. And, and, and in your case, uh, obviously, I mean, uh, what you guys have done is, is, is pretty, pretty remarkable. Uh, but, you know, here you guys also did a strategy that, that is quite, interesting now which is say uh, you raise money to do a roll-up but i guess before we talked about that just for the people that are listening what does the operation of holistic industries look like what is what is the actual business model yeah so we like i said we are a um, vertically integrated multi-state operator so um we have we have operations in uh, dc in maryland and massachusetts and pennsylvania 
California, Michigan, um, Missouri, uh, and then we have pending uh, licenses in New Jersey and uh, Illinois and Ohio. So <clears throat> holistic industries, um, you know, it, it, like I said, is vertically integrated in every state. So we are cultivators. Um, first and foremost, we, we grow our own, our own cannabis and, and, you know, the flower and the, and the trim and, and all the biomass. Um, we're manufacturers. So we, we take that product and we either, um, you know, we harvest it and we dry it and we cure it and we trim it and we package it in, in, uh, jars for, for the end user, or we package it in large, um, you know, large bags for, for our wholesale net network. Um, Got it. we are distributors. So we sell to most every store in, in all the States that we're in, uh, and we're retailers. So, uh, we have the, we have the Liberty brand. So all of our retail stores are, are called Liberty. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we have stores all over the country at this point. So, Tell us about this roll-up because you guys have raised uh, quite a bit of money. How much money have you guys raised today? Well, I think I think uh, between the the roll-up and the the Series A into the into the rolled-up company, um, and then um, each state individually before that, we've we've pr definitely raised over 150 million dollars. Um, you know, maybe closer to 200 if you include real estate. So, you know, a significant okay. amount of capital for uh, for a uh, you know, a, a, a new industry. Oh, for sure. So then tell us about the roll-up. Why did you guys do a roll-up? And sure. what is a roll-up for the people that are listening that perhaps are not so familiar with that strategy? So, um, like I said, at that point, um, you know, we were, we were individual companies in each state, right? With the same name, uh, the same sort of corporate structure. Um, but, but individual companies, nonetheless, with, with individual ownership structures in each state, And, um, you know, as a bit of an aside, you know, I, I, um, I really tried to create something unique in each state. Um, and, and, you know, I mentioned being the best place to work, but I always had this mantra that, you know, I want to be the best place to work, shop and invest in that, in that order. And, and, you know, being the best place to work and getting the best talent and, you know, giving a voice to all of our employees and giving them room to grow and room to learn and, and you know, room to be promoted from within. Um, it really created a, uh, a, an environment and a culture where our employees cared so much about what they were making and selling. <clears throat> and that really translated uh, into being the best place to shop. Um, and, you know, The, just the experience the, between the quality and the, the experience when you walk in and the, the hugs over haggling and the, you know, the, the, the um, dedication to every patient or customer that came in, that, that really translated into the best place to shop. And, you know, the revenue that was coming in made us the best place to invest, um, or at least one of them. And so we started to get offers from, from public cannabis companies. And, uh, you know, I've always said that we're operators, not aggregators. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of our competitors, um, you know, uh, who are called MSOs are more like MSAs and they're, they're bankers who became, um, you know, who, who saw a widget and a ground floor opportunity to get into the, into the space. And so they would buy licenses uh, as opposed to winning them, you know, in merit-based application projects or programs.
Um, and so we started getting offers from a lot of these, these public companies to, you know, to be rolled up into their company. And, um, and one of the things that was very apparent to me was that, uh, no matter what happened, you know, if we, if we got purchased or acquired, uh, if we merged with somebody, if we went public, you know, any of those scenarios, uh, would require, uh, this roll up. So we, we would require all of the entities, um, joining together and becoming one, you know, holistic entity that was wholly owned by a parent company. So, um, so I, I brought on a CFO who uh, was a, a public market CFO for many years, and uh, he took a REIT public a real estate company. And, and one of the things they specialized in was, was rolling up companies. And so uh, he helped me and, and uh, you know, we were continuing to build a first in class, uh, you know, the upper management team and, and, and VP suite and C-suite. And uh, so essentially we, we, you know, you use a third party valuation firm and they, they value each license um, on its own. And then they give that license a value as part of the parent company. Um, and it was a, it was a compelling story. And, uh, you know, I, I worked really hard and, and I went and met with every investor and, um, you know, I think that they could see, um, you know, just, just what was happening and, and how well we were being perceived and how well our brands were being perceived. Um, and so, uh, we were able to get a hundred percent commitment. So every, uh, every single investor ended up rolling into the, into the parent company and, and we became one, you know, one holistic parent with, uh, you know, that wholly owned each individual state's license. And, you know, it's funny because here you are, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I even, I even, you know, believe that this, this, we could, we could disclose this, but, but you raised this money and quite a, at a very interesting valuation. What was the valuation there? It was, it was around a $500 million pre-money valuation. Um, so 500 and 500 million. So with this raise, probably we're looking at a 550 post-money valuation, but, but in your case, um, you know, it's really interesting that you don't have like like what it's going to be appearing as a flashy operation. Everything is happening. You know, the office is in the back of a nail salon. Come on, you got you got to tell us about this. What's going on? No, I'm I'm very proud of it. In fact, so uh, you know, yes, there there. You know, if you visit our stores or our our manufacturing facilities, they they, you know, they they're very they're very shiny, and you know the 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 grows and the labs look like more like a Merck or a, or a Pfizer pharmaceutical facility than, than what some people would think of as a cannabis cultivation facility. But, um, you know, we really, really consider ourselves good stewards of capital. And, um, you know, we, we were never a public company. We never, uh, we never had funny money. We never went for broke. And so, um, you know, we, we, we watch every dollar and, and, so here I am, the CEO of a of a five hundred and fifty million dollar company, and you know my office is in uh, is is um, next door to the the wine and spirits office, um, and and we've had a nail salon client forever. So we we moved them upstairs and uh, and put my office in the back of the nail salon. So I, I sit in the back of a nail salon um, with uh, I love it with a couple of administrative staff and, and, uh, you know, our C-suite is spread throughout, uh, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and DC. Very, very cool. Very cool. So, so how many employees do you guys have today? 
Um, we have around 400 employees. Um, and that, you know, for better or worse is, uh, is going to double, um, by the end of the summer, we have about two assets opening a month this year. Um, you know, we, we won a lot of licenses and bought a lot of licenses and, and, um, those are, you know, all under construction right now. And, um, so on top of the, the many licenses that we, that we have open now that are, that are generating revenue, um, we're, we're going to open a lot more assets this year. So we'll, we'll see our, our employee count, uh, almost double. And it was really important to me to have a lot of structure in place. And, and like I said, you know, some people poo poo, uh, you know, the whole concept of culture, but it's just the most important thing. And in cannabis, a lot, a lot of people realize, um, it's just such a fast growing sector that if somebody comes to work for me and they, they spend six months, uh, working for me, um, you know, you put that on your resume and you can get hired or poached in a day. Um, so, you know, keeping, you know, these, these employees and, um, you know, having great retention and, and wa- watching them rise as we expand from, you know, from maybe a, a local role in, in a store to a, a regional role to a, a, you know, a national role has been really, really uh, one of the most rewarding things. So you're talking about culture, Josh. So how do you define culture? What's culture to you? Well, I really think, um, you know, I, I think culture is, is the, is the, the feel is the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the, it's the mantra and the, the feel and the, um, you know, the, the, un, the almost undescribable um, word, you know, it's, it's, it's how people treat each other. It's how they're treated. It's how they, you know, they treat our, our customers and, um, it's how I treat them. It's access. It's, it's, um, it's transparency. It's, you know, it's so many things. It's, it's allowing people to be their best and, and, um, you know, without, without being worried about, you know, what their direct boss is going to say. And, um, you know, I've really, really spent a lot of time, um, you know, making sure that that's the case at Holistic. Very cool. And where do you see the cannabis industry heading as a whole? Um, well, you know, I think it's that's a great question. And, uh, you know, if I had a crystal ball, I uh, I wouldn't be in the back of the nail salon. But I uh, look, I can tell you a couple of things. I mean, the demand has has never been as as high as it is now. Um, I think, you know, education and outreach is such an important component and um you know a lot of a lot of what people think about cannabis is just because of lack of education and so we spend a lot of time um you know we we have uh, a national director of outreach who's, who all he does is go he's a rabbi in fact um and he goes to hospitals and to senior facilities and to churches and synagogues and you name it and he and he you know he teaches uh you know, he destigmatizes cannabis. He um, he teaches people that it's okay, and that you know, um, uh, his story is an amazing one too. He was a he was a uh, a rabbi for uh, a social services agency, and he would sit on people's deathbed. And uh, his aha moment was when um, he was visiting a, a patient who was uh, an elderly man, and like he was dying, and he couldn't eat, 
And James recommended that he try cannabis. And he was in a state that would allow for him to get a card. And he said, and his wife said, we're not that kind of person. We're not that, we're not that kind of people. And about a minute after they said that, they hit their, uh, their morphine button about five times. And James watched the guy's eyes kind of roll into his head. And, and James just knew that this was just a, a you know, there was just a lack of, of information, education, and, and, you know, to say you're not that kind of person, but, but to be, you know, comfortable using a pharmaceutical drug that, you know, five years later, we all find out is, uh, you know, is killing people and, and creating an epidemic. Um, you know, I think, I think cannabis is, is really the, the toothpaste is out of the tube. And, um, I think, you know, legislators and, and, um, and citizens, you know, no matter sort of left or right, um, Republican, Democrat, independent, um, they're all starting to see what a successful cannabis program in their state can do. Um, you know, the zombies don't come out. The crime rate doesn't go up. Um, you know, you, you, you add a lot of jobs, good paying jobs. Like I said, it's a competitive environment. So, you know, there's, there's more, there's about five times more tax paying jobs in the cannabis sector than there is in the coal sector. And so I think as, as people see, um, you know, that, that, that having a cannabis program in their state, you know, means better roads and more schools and more police cars and, um, you know, people suffering from, from, you know, whether it's muscle spasticity disorders like MS or, um, brain tumors, or, uh, like I mentioned earlier, epilepsy, um, you know, these, these things can be, can be treated, um, with cannabis therapy. And, you know, this is a natural plant and, and, you know, um, we're held to high standards. This product's third party tested, um, and, and, you know, done right. And with the right experience, we've, we've seen many people come, come around and, um, really see, watch their lives being changed. Very cool. And one of the questions that I typically ask to the um, guests that come on the show is, I mean, you've been at it now for a while. You've uh, grown, scaled, started businesses, raised money. I mean, all, everything that you can think of. If you had the opportunity to go back in time and perhaps have a discussion or a conversation with, with that younger Josh, uh, a conversation in which you had the opportunity of giving that younger Josh one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be uh, and why, given what you know now, Josh? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, I think it's, I think I would tell my uh, younger, dumber self that uh, you can't do everything. And, uh, you know, you, focus is so important and talent is so important. And, you know, bringing leaders in that are smarter than you and, better looking than you and you know that 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 understand business and you know we our our chief marketing officer it was the ceo of the biggest pharma marketing company in the world um you know i mentioned our cfo our our, our chief human resources officer and hr for hard rock casino you know bringing people in that have um breadth and depth of experience and giving them the tools to succeed and the encouragement and and really, you know, watching them do their thing, um, you can't you can't do that by yourself. And and I think I spent a lot of years 
doing everything and trying to be everything. And, um, you know, it, it's, that is not the right approach. And, and I'm glad I learned it, you know, uh, when I did. Got it. And for the folks that are listening, Josh, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah. So, um, if you go to holisticindustries.com, uh, you know, you can, you can, uh, drop us a note and, uh, say hello and, you know, um, we'll get back to you that day. And, uh, we love meeting new people and we love to, to give them the opportunity to see what we're up to and, um, and, and learn about the industry. Amazing. Well, Josh, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you so much. It was, uh, it was an honor and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.